Hi, I'm Bill Thielman. Welcome to BC Polytalk. And I'm Daniel Fontaine, your co-host. On today's show, we have Adam Olson. He is the interim leader of the Green Party of British Columbia. And Bill, uh, you and I, uh, this is our last show uh, for this season, and we hope to be back. Uh, we've had some tremendous guests in the May sweeps. We've had uh, some fantastic guests, and today is another one with uh, Adam being on. He's the interim leader. I, I think it's the second time that he's been the interim leader. Uh, what What's on your agenda for uh, him today? Well, and of course, we should mention he's the MLA for Saanich North and the Islands and uh, has uh, been so for the last session. Uh, look, there's a lot of things on. We always, given the pandemic, start with COVID-19. But <clears throat> I know that Adam's mother, actually, and her partner uh, both uh, ended up catching COVID-19. So Adam has a real personal experience with that. So I want to I talk to him about that. I also want to ask him about something which is a big thing for the Greens, and that's the so-called green recovery. So as we get out of COVID-19 and the crisis and the economic devastation that it has wrought, uh, a lot of people in the Green Party and outside the Green Party are saying we need a more environmental recovery. And uh, when you look around and see that our air is cleaning up and that our uh, a whole bunch of things are, are side benefits, unintended consequences, perhaps, of the lack of vehicle traffic, airline traffic, all the other things going on. So I want to ask Adam about that. Yeah, and we, I mean, uh, I've heard a lot of talk about that from, from environmentalists about the impact of uh, the pandemic in terms of the climate change, but I don't think anybody's proposing to shut down economies around the world as a solution to climate change, but it'll be interesting to hear his reaction uh, when you ask him that. I, I have a, a few questions I'd like to talk, or topics I'd like to, to talk to him about. One of those includes the upcoming minimum wage increase and whether or not um, he's been hearing from the business community about the timing on that. I know I've been hearing from some folks within the community that they think increasing the minimum wage at this time is probably not uh, the right thing to do. So we'll hear what, what he has to say about that. Also, a couple of issues that I know will likely be very topical in the legislature this uh, summer. Uh, well, one will be the universal basic income. I know the Greens have been really pushing for that and We'll see if he's uh, thinking about introducing that. And also there's talk now about mandated sick pay and mandated uh, legislated sick pay, uh, perhaps at the federal level, but likely uh, to come first in places like British Columbia. So we'll see whether or not the Green Party has any interest in supporting something like mandated sick pay and who is going to pay for the sick pay. That'll be interesting to hear what he has to say about that. Absolutely. And of course, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask about the Green Party leadership, which has kind of been suspended. Sonia Furstenau, Adam Wilson's uh, MLA colleague, has declared as the, I think, the only declared candidate right now, but everything's suspended. And of course, uh, Daniel, you and I have scratched both of our respective heads on why Andrew Weaver, uh, not why he quit the, the leadership of the Green Party, but why he actually quit the Green Caucus. And uh, I don't think Adam's going to likely want to speak on behalf of Mr. Weaver, and maybe we'll have him as a guest someday. But uh, I have to admit, it, it, it's a kind of a strange situation. And now we've, because of COVID-19, we've got a suspended leadership campaign. Yeah, so why don't we bring uh, Adam on the show and have that conversation? BC Polytalk thanks Harbor Air for supporting the show. It's through sponsorship and viewer support that we get to produce this show. Adam Wilson, welcome to BC Polytalk. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, we really appreciate it as well. It's our final uh, season. Uh, final season. I hope it's our final show of the season, not our final season. And so we're really happy to have you on as interim Green Party leader. Uh, pretty much everything we talk about these days starts with COVID-19, but I wanted you to give us a bit more of a personal view because your mother, Sylvia, actually had a, a very up close and personal experience with COVID-19 uh, with uh, Tex, her partner. How was that? How did you mm -hmm. uh, cope with that as, your, as a family? 
Well, interesting, as uh, as provinces in the country started to shut down, uh, uh, what is it, 10 weeks ago or so now, uh, I had family members in Toronto and family members in Vancouver. I was tra uh, traveling back and forth to Vancouver. My mom and her partner, Tex, were at a uh, at a First Nations housing conference uh, in, in Toronto. And um, uh, thankfully, there wasn't, uh, it d doesn't appear that the uh, that they caught uh, COVID-19 or the novel coronavirus uh, at that uh, conference, that they must have caught it at, uh, we were having this conversation last night at the airport or something like that. And, and I think uh, as we have been looking at rural, remote and isolated communities and the impact that this virus could have uh, in those communities, very thankful that um, that they didn't catch it there and it didn't get transmitted back to First Nations communities across the, the country, although they did come back and have to spend a whole bunch of weeks, uh, very isolated and very ill, extremely ill. And uh, I think that one of the things that has been frustrating for me is to hear people asking, you know, uh, rather uninformed questions or making uninformed statements about um, the, the various aspects of the shutdown that we've been facing. And uh, as I've seen it uh, firsthand, uh, it was very much the right decisions that we made. Yeah, that's pretty uh, a pretty tough one, and and of course uh, you have two kids. Uh, that's their grandma uh, in that kind of a condition. That's right. What's your What's your general sense uh, as the interim Green Party leader on how the province has done in handling COVID nineteen? Well, I share the. I think I share the perspective that a lot of people have been talking about uh, over the past uh, number of weeks that British Columbia has done particularly well, uh, and I, I guess a little segue, um, like many. Uh, British Columbians and Canadians, I've had to make uh, working from home work. And so as a helicopter passes over my house right now, you might be hearing it. I work from my patio these days. So um, sorry for that. And uh, maybe we'll get more pleasant bird chirping sounds in, a, in a, just a second here. But I think uh, British Columbia has done incredibly well. We've uh, British Columbians have risen to the task of, of uh, social distancing, physical distancing, uh, isolation, and, and all of the most difficult uh, uh, things that we can do in our society that we're not familiar with, and they, these are not habits that we have that come firsthand. They, we've had a quick learning session, and uh, over the last number of weeks, and British Columbia has responded well. I think the government's responded well. I think the government's responded compassionately uh, and quickly, and they've been very flexible. And and in 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 the decisions that were made, and we often I, I think hear of how inflexible government can be or how slow government can be, and I think. The uh, example that we have here in British Columbia is that actually government, when needed, can move quickly. Uh, it can move thoughtfully, uh, and uh, and it can be open to to both criticism and advice. and uh, And I and these are all, I think all aspects that we would like to uh, to maintain as the new habits of government going forward. Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that, Adam. I think there are a lot of British Columbians are watching the pace at which uh, change is happening with the provincial government and hope that. One of the legacies post-pandemic is that there is that accelerated ability to uh, to change policy and to change course if things aren't, aren't working well. You know, uh, COVID uh, is, as Bill said, has become a really big topic for us on this program over the last number of weeks. So mm -hmm. it, it, what it has done it is it has also um, highlighted the need for discussion on a number of other policy fronts that have now been accelerated as a result of COVID. And I'm going to open up the discussion just on, on the economy. Uh, it's something that we know yeah. uh, has been devastated in British Columbia. And one policy piece that's about to be enacted very soon is the increase uh, to the minimum wage. And there's been a lot of concern from the business community that perhaps the timing around this increase to the to the minimum wage is, is just poorly timed given where we are right now with our economic cycle. 
Any thoughts from you and the Green Party in terms of that uh, support for that minimum wage increase? And have you been hearing those calls from the business community to perhaps give that a second thought? Um, oh, I certainly have heard uh, the, the the challenges uh, from the, especially the small business community uh, in my riding when uh, the government uh, made the decision to move forward with uh, increase of minimum wage. Uh, of course, uh, we've also seen uh, the impact that minimum wage workers, the, the impact on minimum wage workers uh, from COVID-19, and 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 you know some of the relief uh, measures that have been put in place have been uh, to provide a, a an increased wage for those that are working on the front line making minimum wage. And so I think um, there is, uh, I think, a, an ongoing discussion in our province uh, over years and over maybe decades about uh, how minimum wage and and how that should be handled. And of course. The BC Green Party had uh, some differences of opinion with the uh, the current NDP government with respect to minimum wage and and how it should be increased and how we should be uh, looking at minimum wage increases or how we should be looking at uh, wages uh, and and increases and support for British Columbians whether it be through uh, a, a basic income or uh, minimum wage increases. Uh, we've we've continued to work with government at various levels, uh, both at the legislative level and in staff and at the political level to. Uh, have uh, ongoing conversations and to continue to look at how best uh, to remunerate British Columbians and how best to uh, ensure that people are making a wage that can allow them to live in our society and allow them to be uh, able to uh, uh, have the comfort that's needed in order to be able to build a life. So I think um, the timing of, of this is very difficult. The timing of, uh, the, the as we saw, they um, relax the timing or they, they, they set aside the, the timing of the increase in the carbon tax. Uh, and I think that we've seen some, uh, some decisions made by government to maybe set some of these aside. And these are going to continue to be robust conversations going forward that I, I don't know that there's a right answer one way or another. I think that what, uh, what British Columbians need to see and, and, and what I hope continues is that we have thoughtful discussions about how best to ensure that British Columbians can create a life uh, stability, security, resilience, uh, so that uh, so that we're not just kind of all living on the edge. Well, uh, we're <laughs> we're definitely living on the edge. I think no matter what our income is right now. Uh, I wanted to go That's back to, to something. Yeah, to something you mentioned, Adam, and, and that was the, the the degree of cooperation between all the parties in the legislature. We've mm. got the legislature slated now to come back sometime in mid June as we go to air here. Uh, do you think that you're going to see more cooperation between the BC Liberal Party, the NDP, the Green Party uh, in the in the coming session? And will that last? Because we've got an election year coming up and uh, your party, for example, uh, obviously has some needs to differentiate itself with the NDP. So do, are we going to have a, a very unusual session and a very unusual year or are we going to get back to, to, to hammering it out between each other? Uh, well, my hope is that one of the new normals is that we in the legislature get down to governing rather than to uh, playing the petty uh, politic games that have been going on in this province for a, a long, long time. And I think part of the uh, opportunity that the BC Greens uh, have in, in, in creating a, a, a three-party legislature rather than just the, the two-party kind of black and white us and them kind of debates that have been happening uh, in this province over decades I think that we have seen uh, and, and, and we have been as the BC Green Caucus very much involved in, in trying to level out the conversations. And there's no doubt that we've got a job to differentiate ourselves and to, 
to to demonstrate to British Columbians why it is that the BC Greens are a viable party and why we are a viable voice in our democracy. Uh, but we've we've seen far too much politics and far little governing in in our province in in my in my perspective from my perspective. And I think that uh, as we get back into, uh, as we get back into the session this summer and into future sessions, that we should be focused more on, on uh, governing on behalf of British Columbians rather than just the focus of advancing our own uh, partisan political interests, which is what, uh, which is what ca has characterized a lot of the debate uh, in this province. It's, it's not been around what is a good policy decision for a good policy decision? It's been about they're saying that, so we're going to say this, and and that doesn't have any value, I don't think, in terms of, um, in terms of the, the context that we're working in right now, where a lot of people need a lot of help, uh, and a, and a lot of assistance from government, and they they need us to be able to be, uh, making decisions, but then as well, uh, be open to criticism and be open to taking advice, like I was saying earlier, that I think this is one of the the aspects that. That I think uh, the BC Green BC NDP relationship has exposed is that there is an opportunity. There's always an opportunity for us to have disagreements. There's also opportunities for us to be working together. And I think uh, while the BC Greens and, and BC NDP are two different parties with uh, values that give us direction, we found common ground. We found ways to build on that common ground, and we found ways to also disagree with each other in a uh, in a way that hasn't been. Uh, distasteful to British Columbians and hasn't seen us banging on desks and yelling at each other across uh, across the room. So Adam, uh, speaking of the legislature coming back into session in uh, the next few weeks, one of the pieces of legislation that is anticipated to be put onto the floor, potentially, depending on what happens with negotiations with the federal government, that's legislation around ensuring a minimum number of sick days for British Columbians. And we've, we've heard and seen that uh, discussion over the last number of weeks. Uh, is this something that you would be supporting as a Green Caucus? So uh, assuming that the federal government doesn't implement this, the Premier's indicated the BC government will go it alone. Is this something that the Green Party will support and, and who will pay for it? Are there any details that you can share with us as to how this might actually work if it's a, a BC project on its own? No, I don't. I don't have any of the the details. I think that there still is the negotiations between the province and the federal government, which need to happen. Um, and and you know, we will get into the discussions when when a decision has been made at that level as to whether or not it's a, a provincial or a federal uh, initiative. I, I'll just say this: I, I think it's really difficult for me to say that I'd support a piece of legislation before having the opportunity to go through it and and understand the analysis. But I think in at its essence. We have to we have to build policy uh, now with uh, coronavirus and this pandemic in mind. We we cannot have, uh, as an example, people working in multiple facility, uh, multiple seniors facilities. That's going to impact uh, that's going to impact how we deploy uh, workers throughout those facilities and the number of workers that we need. We can't have people going to work sick. And and this is you know. Um, I, I've I've really enjoyed my relationship with Premier uh, John Horgan, and one of the things that I've really appreciated is his clarity in that, uh, and and his and his recognition that you know we all go to work sometimes uh, with the sniffles or feeling a, a little under the weather, and that's something that from a from a societal perspective is going to have to change, and the expectations on workers and the expectations of employers is going to have to change, and I think it's incumbent upon British. The government of British Columbia and the government of Canada to recognize those changes and and try to work through the, what's going to be difficult discussions for sure because it's going to cost, 
uh, people money. It's going to cost uh, people hours, perhaps, and it's going to and it's going to require us to be um, uh, to be viewing. I think this policy in a way that we haven't viewed it in the past. So um, I, I'm I don't have any of the details on on how it would. Uh, roll out now, but I can tell you that I'm certainly open to it, and we're certainly open to finding ways to support people to be able to make the right public health decisions that we need them to make so that uh, we don't have uh, increased vectors in our society that, that are unnecessary. Uh, Adam, uh, I can hear a little bit of a bird chirp behind you, and which uh, is great. Uh, and I, one of the things that I've noticed here in Vancouver is I can hear the birds a lot more because there's a lot less traffic. Uh, we're seeing the skies are cleaner and clearer because of less uh, car traffic, vehicle traffic, less airline traffic. Um, let's talk about green recovery because that's one of the big items for you and the Green Party. What does a green recovery look like? Uh, are these the signs of what we should uh, try and continue? Uh, more, more nature and less emissions? Uh, well, I mean, I think I think we were on a track, and and the the relationship with the the BC NDP government and the BC Greens uh, produced a Clean BC, a, a very progressive and and uh, lauded uh, policy that uh, sets us on on track. I think to uh, towards achieving our uh, carbon emissions reduction goals that uh, that that have been legislated, and that we uh, that we want to achieve a a better, cleaner environment. A, a, I think a a more uh, a closer relationship to nature than we've enjoyed or or perhaps uh, uh, had over the last number of decades. So I think uh, I think certainly um, that this uh, last 10 weeks have, have given researchers a lot of data about what happens if we were to stop. I think uh, from an environmental perspective, I also think that there's going to be uh, probably a lot of data that comes out to show what the impact of, of a, a, sh a shutdown or a slowdown has on the economy as well. And so I think that we're going to be having a balanced, uh, we're going to have to balance uh, this as we go forward with the recognition that we have uh, a climate a, a, a climate crisis that we're, that we're trying to deal with, carbon emissions that we're increasing and that we have to reduce and that there's an opportunity right now we're going to be you know governments in this country and government and, and our government is going to be spending a generation's worth actually i'll put it this way we're going to be investing in our province uh for a generation's worth of investments now and in the very short and near term and so i think what's important is that uh we have uh the goals that that this government was established around that are outlined in the confidence and supply agreement which have a lot to do with environmental protection, a lot to do with professional reliance and making sure that we've got uh, the kind of uh, protections that are needed uh, and, and that we've got the kind of um, uh, the, the relationship to the environment that going forward, we're going to be able to, uh, we're going to be able to achieve those reductions. So I think we've seen from both an economic and an environmental perspective, what happens when uh, we reduce emissions. And uh, there are some very important policy and opportunities in front of us right now uh, to lean into those and invest those. And we've certainly been advocating with government very strongly as government's got a lot of advocates coming to them right now and, and, and uh, asking them uh, for things. But I think what we've been doing is saying, look, this is our opportunity to really lean into Clean BC as the economic agenda going forward. And uh, we're at this pivotal mo moment in history and let's take advantage of that. So Adam, it, it might be a little symbolic, but we've talked a little bit about uh, digital government, digital legislature, virtual legislatures, um, where parliamentarians are now hooking in like us, uh, virtually without having to go in 
and I know it might be a little symbolic, but we're sending politicians to and from Ottawa, to and from Victoria using fossil fuels. Do you see in the future uh, the opportunity for politicians to not have to be in, in Parliament in Ottawa or in Victoria and save those carbon emissions? Or do you think this is just a temporary thing during COVID? Is this something that might be a permanent uh, kind of carbon reduction plan to actually allow politicians to still participate in debate but not have to physically be there in Parliament? Uh, it's it's a very important question and it's an interesting question because I think that it, it's 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 as much about my life as a politician as it is about everybody's life as a, a working professionals and and you know how much work are we going to be doing behind the screen and how much work are we going to be doing in person I think I think certainly this opportunity is oh this opportunity this um, situation has opened up the opportunities for us to engage online and to see that actually video conferencing. Uh, is an is an opportunity for us to embrace and and cuts down on the amount of travel in between meetings. However, I would I would also like to say that over the last number of weeks and and that was really my attitude at the very beginning of this. My attitude has changed and and it's not that I that it's not an all or nothing uh, situation for me, but I have noticed that the more the time that I spend in this place behind a screen, I am really missing the three dimensions of decision-making, the multiple dimensionality of decision-making. Everything right now for me is flattened. Um, the, on the screen, we, we can connect, we can have a great conversation, but it's not the same conversation that the three of us can have in person. It's a, it's a different conversation. I think what's important for us is to recognize the opportunities where we can use video conferencing very effectively to bring people together and also the opportunities uh, where we are going to need to embrace coming together in person as well because th those are th there's a big difference and I'm and I'm really starting to feel uh, that difference I'm really starting to feel the aspects of not having a lot of time I looked at my calendar today and realized you know, there's a few minutes between a lot of meetings, and that's not enough to stop and start. And, and, I, and I think, I think that as we as we evolve our work habits and as we evolve our our um, uh, how how we do business, it's really important that I think that we have a mix of both. So uh, I think there's incredible value to me sitting in the room with my colleagues from Camloops. Uh, you know, with, with MLA uh, Todd Stone, for an example, to sit and be able to have a conversation. It's really important for me to be able to sit and have a person-to-person -person conversation with Minister Doug Donaldson. I've really appreciated the opportunity that I've had to be able to have conversations with ministers and other MLAs uh, over the phone and over video conferencing, but nothing replaces getting back together. So my answer is, is it's, it's not all or nothing. I think that there are certainly opportunities coming out of this where we are going to see benefits of video conferencing and not having to call everybody back to Victoria or to Ottawa. On the other hand, I think that, that we shouldn't abandon that altogether because the, the quality of decision-making, the, the multi-dimensionality of the conversations is really important in politics, being in the same room as people and, uh, and having those person, one-on-one, person-to-person conversations. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And of course, you know, we we heard Premier Horgan talking about the Brady Bunch Hollywood Squares nature of uh, of these types of things like Zoom and WebEx, etc., Skype. And I have to agree. I also find it very tiring. I'm sure uh, if you're spending oh, as many just... hours uh, at it uh, as I think you are, I suspect that 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 really gets quite exhausting. Um, I want to actually talk about something that you did do in person, and and it's been something that's a non-COVID story. 
Uh, and that's the Wet'suwet'en situation where uh, we had mm. a big protest against yeah. coastal gaslink. Uh, you're a, a member of the Sartlip First Nation. Uh, you visited the hereditary chiefs up there. Subsequent to that, there was an agreement between the province and the federal government and the hereditary chiefs, which has now come open. And the elected chiefs uh, of the Wet'suwet'en are uh, extremely unhappy with the whole situation, with the agreement, with the way they were treated. Yeah. Do you see, or what do you see as the solution in the longer term to to that situation, which seems to be still fraught with with a lot of tension? Yeah, it's it's multiple communities and and multiple clans, and there's a there's a lot of politics that have that has evolved over decades in this country that has created the situation that we have, uh, not only in the Wet'suwet'en territory but also in territories right across the province. You know, I think uh, one of the really substantive challenges that we have uh, is the Indian Act, and the Indian Act has created uh, a level of government that uh, has governed the the reserves. And my, my sister's an, an Indian Act uh, counselor, and is you know, for for the for the greatest uh, respect, they've done a great job in our community uh, managing. And I and I often say this that uh, some of the most uh, competent and and best leaders that we have in this country are. Uh, Indian Act chiefs and councils because they've been doing the most with the least uh, for decades in this country. Uh, one of the challenges that uh, that we're going to face with the Indian Act is the fact that um, court uh, decisions such as Dalgamuk uh, have, 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 have been very clear that the traditional Indigenous governance uh, structures have not gone away nor are they illegitimate. And so it's going to require patience, and and I know that this is an answer that for a lot of Canadians and a lot of British Columbians is going to be is going to be difficult. But it does require a level of patience uh, that uh, and and uh, you know a, a level of compassion uh, going forward here because uh, the reality of it is is that none of these conversations of, are easy, and none of these conversations uh, is there a kind of a clear pathway through them, and so. You know, I, I think that the the hereditary chiefs had a uh, had a legitimate uh, uh, claim to make when they said that uh, the the Supreme Court of Canada and 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 the court system has ruled that that the provincial and federal governments needs to get to the table, and it's been decades since since that ruling, and now the provincial and federal governments are at the table. Uh, I think that the um, the Indian Act chiefs and councils also have have legitimate uh, statements to make and claims to make, and the conversation should not uh, exclude them. So, it's it's fraught with a, a lot of challenges. There's no question about it. Uh, but I think that one of the things one of the things that I've consistently said through through this is that we are only a fraction of the province and only a fraction of the country uh, that we could be if we don't actually lean into this and deal with these situations in a mature, in a thoughtful way. And one of the reasons why we leaned so heavily into the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People Act, and it's not exclusive to just First Nations people, it's inclusive to all Indigenous people uh, in this province, is because we need to start to, we, we needed to create a different framework for a different conversation. We could not have a different conversation in the same framework. And now we've done that, it, cre you know, it, it, it didn't create the challenges that we faced early in this year with the roadblocks and the, the blockades. Uh, that was a result of decades of, 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 uh, of, um, of really challenging uh, governance uh, issues that had been brought by the Crown governments. Uh, but I think we can start to see a, a different kind of uh, relationship between Indigenous people and the Crown governance, governments in this, uh, in this province going forward because we have... 
recognized and acknowledged uh, the place that Indigenous people have uh, in, in British Columbia. I guess the shorter question, I appreciate everything you've said there. I, don't, I guess the shorter question is, do you support the agreement? Um, well, I mean, I think the agreement is a framework for them to have for them to continue to have a conversation. And so in that context, absolutely, I, I support uh, the, the provincial and federal governments coming to the table and signing memorandums of understanding about developing a process to go forward. Uh, is it uh, is it perfect? I don't I don't know. I, I don't and will not speak on behalf of the Wet'suwet'en people, but I, I, I certainly fully support the actions that the uh, federal and, and, and provincial governments have taken to, to have a conversation now that should have been had uh, a long time ago. So Adam, in the, the limited time we have left, I know you've got to run off to another Zoom meeting somewhere else, I'm <laughs> sure, in the, in the coming minute. But my last question to you is in relation to an issue that's popped up in the media over the last week, and that's around universal basic income for British Columbians. And I know that was part of the agreement, I think the partnership agreement that you had with the government in terms of reviewing that. Um, would this not be a time for the Green Party to put that forward in the upcoming session of the legislature? I mean, would there not be a better time now for the Greens to advocate for something like a universal income? Is that something you'd be you'd be pushing for in this upcoming session? So this is an issue that we've been uh, consistently talking about with the uh, with the BCNDP government uh, for for the whole three years, and and I think uh, there's a panel uh, that's right now working through uh, the the complexities of this, and I think that what's really important to to recognize here is that it's easy and simple to say, let's just put in a basic income. You have to take a look at all of the programs that are currently in place. You have to take a look at the relationship between the provincial and federal governments. You have to take a look at the authorities and jurisdiction that each levels of each of the levels of government has. You have to take a look at the different systems that we have in place already to collect money and to uh, tax and and etc. So while it is simple to say this is an uh, an opportunity for British Columbians and and we simply said it in the election that let's state let's start to take a look at it, I think what's important is that we get that report back from uh, the panel that's doing the work on it that we understand the challenges that are ahead of us and that actually while it might be a more simple way of delivering um, services or delivering financial support to British Columbians who need it, actually implementing it might be a complex thing to do. And so it doesn't mean that we don't do it. It doesn't mean that we don't continue to uh, advocate for it. In fact, we've, we are advocating for it now as vociferously as we had in the past. I think it's just important to recognize the complexity of actually doing it. And so, you know, this comes down to the governance piece of it. Politically, it's absolutely smart for us to be pushing this forward. This was a policy we ran on and it's a policy that we believe in. But from a governance perspective, we have to be responsible to the people of British Columbia. We have to be responsible to ensure that we're not actually putting something out there uh, like it's just going to be simple for us to do when in reality we know that it's going to be more difficult than that. So in short, yes, we are going to continue to really talk about this as an opportunity, a potential opportunity. We're going to also be very realistic though about how it might simplify life in some aspects, but actually implementing it, we have to embrace and recognize the complexity. Otherwise, what will happen is any support that there would be for that project or for, for that program could be lost in, in uh, once we start to hit the obstructions and the roadblocks, which inevitably are going to be there. Because 
it's not just a decision that we can make on our own uh, without having a conversation with the federal government. And if it is, then we might be putting ourselves in a position where we have to create a whole pile of systems, a whole pile of bureaucracy that we don't have in this province. And then that's where British we start to lose British Columbians in this conversation. So I, I think this is a prime example of where politics, yes, this is a policy that was, was ours and we ran on. And governance, uh, you know, we have to be careful about how we uh, implement and execute. Well, uh, Adam, I thank you for that. And I wanted to ask a governance question a little bit different. You're in uh, one of the more unique positions. You've not once but twice been the interim BC Green Party leader. And uh, yeah. and I, I don't know uh, what that says, but in some ways, but I'm wondering if you could tell us and tell our listeners and viewers what's uh, what's happening because uh, uh, there is a, a Green Party leadership going on uh, due yeah. to, I have to say, a head scratch to me, Andrew Weaver, uh, not just leaving uh, the leadership, but leaving uh, the caucus. And um, your colleague, Sonia Firstenau, is uh, a declared candidate. Can you fill us in on what's going to happen with the leadership and when it's going to be resolved? Well, being the interim leader, I, I don't know what it says other than the fact that I've been in politics for a long time uh, and uh, for more than a decade now. Uh, and, you know, for me, it was about it's about timing, right? Um, just, you know, I, I have to make a decision that's right for me and right for my family and, and right for the, the time of life that we're in uh, right now. And the Provincial Council for the BC Green Party has been meeting. We continue to meet and, and I've been in, you know, I continue to encourage us uh, to make a decision, make a decision soon about the resumption of our uh, of our leadership race, and I suspect that there will be information about that coming out uh, uh, in the in the next few weeks. I don't want to commit to any any specific timeline, but certainly um, making sure that uh, that we have the resumption of that leadership contest is is a, a prime uh, concern for me as the interim leader. You know, it's important. I, I said when I took the job. Uh, this time that uh, that part of my role is to help facilitate the election of the next leader of this party and and uh, and then getting together and working with them. So for me, I continue to work with our provincial council and with our caucus. And we just we uh, you know, I, I don't think that when I when I said yes to being the interim leader, I had never thought that there was going to be a global <laughs> pandemic thrown into the middle of my second stint in this job. So, you know, we, we have to in politics, you can never. Uh, you can never know exactly what's around the corner, and that's part of what attracts me to this is I wake up every day and there's something else going on. Um, but as I was talking to with uh, Richard Zussman of Global TV, there's uh, there's an awful lot of stories to be told in this uh, 41st Parliament of the of the BC Legislature, and uh, a global pandemic is now one of them. So. Yeah. Well, Adam, I really want to thank you for taking the time and, and uh, I wish you good luck with the resumption of the legislative session. We'll be watching. And uh, thank you very much for coming on BC Polytalk. Thank you very much for inviting me and uh, all the best in your next seasons. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much uh, for coming on. We uh, This is our last uh, episode. Uh, we're very glad to have you as the leader, interim leader of the Green Party on and we'll hopefully have the new leader on uh, in our next season, which will hopefully start up uh, next fall. But thanks again for coming on, Adam. We'll be, we'll be right back. Thanks a lot for having me. BC Polytalk thanks Harbour Air for supporting the show. It's through sponsorship and viewer support that we get to produce this show. Well, Daniel, that was very interesting uh, for our last show of this season. Uh, Adam Olson, the interim Green Party leader uh, times two, second time he's done that. 
I thought he uh, he's a very articulate guy, quite clearly. He uh, knows his stuff. And he also has some very interesting perspectives. I particularly think that he gave a very good answer on the Wet'suwet'en question, uh, a non-COVID-19 question. And as you know, uh, he had went on a, an explanatory answer at first. And then I had to ask him a very short question, which was, do you support the agreement or not? And he said he did. Um, what's your impression of, of the interview? No, I, I really enjoyed the interview. I thought I think the, the the piece of it that stood out for me the most was around his very frank discussion around these are our promises. This is what we say we're going to do, but this is what we can do when we're actually in government. And I thought that was actually quite a, a frank yeah. comment from a politician because now everything that goes forward uh, into the election, people might ask the Green Party, well, is this just a promise or is this something that you're actually going to deliver on? So. Um, that was an interesting comment from him that stood out for me um, as well as you know he he uh, you know he had to answer some questions around things like basic income guaranteed basic income and stuff and I thought he handled them all quite well I, I totally agree on that I, I was kind of uh, mildly astonished I, perhaps that uh, the the frankness in which Adam Wilson said well it's it would be good politics but I'm not sure it's good governance it, he kind of sounded like a cabinet minister at some point but a cabinet minister in the back room not on a TV show so I was I was interested well, to see and, that and, and that, I think yeah and Bill I think that's been part of the issue for the Green Party is that they're living in two worlds they're kind of mm -hmm. like in the government they've kind of got an agreement they're kind of governing but they also stand up in question period and are expected to hold the government to account. And sometimes when you're living in those dual worlds, it can prove challenging. And, and I think that's one of the areas that you and I've talked about. The Green Party are going to struggle. I, I've said this before, and I think it will continue to be the case in the next 18 months. They're going to have a very difficult time uh, differentiating themselves from the, the BCNDP. And I think people, if given the option to vote for the Coke regular or Coke light, I think people will just go for the regular Coke, right? So who knows? Well, the challenge they have is they're kind of political friends with very few benefits. And so uh, we'll see how that plays out. The legislative session is, is about to start in mid-June. And uh, and then there's supposed to be a fall session, of course. So we'll see we'll see how that goes. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, but I thought, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, Sonia Furstenau, the only declared leadership candidate in the Green MLA for Couch, and um, will have her hands full. And I think uh, she'll be glad to have Adam Wilson advising her there as well. So, Bill, I, I think in the few minutes we have remaining, I wouldn't mind just opening it up for you a little bit on the whole season. I think it's been a, a great opportunity for both of us to interview some amazing political people within our province. I think we've attracted some great political folks. I know we, we talked about at the opening of this show about how we missed the uh, voice of BC and bringing that format back. I know your email and my email has been not flooded, but we've had a number of politicians who've wanted to be on BC Polytalk. They really enjoyed the format, really enjoyed the opportunity to speak. Um, I've really enjoyed the season working with you. Uh, we haven't had maybe as much kind of head-to-head uh, -head fisticuffs as maybe the public expected, but I really enjoy the conversational style that we've taken on this. And I think kind of leading that discussion and, and not being so partisan all the time. Yeah, Daniel, I appreciate uh, your co-hosting and, and the season has been great. We've had former Premier Glenn Clark. Uh, we've had opposition leader Andrew Wilkinson. Uh, many interesting guests from business, from municipal and provincial and federal politics, uh, Cabinet Minister Joyce Murray. I think that we really uh, wanted to try and fill a gap that we felt. That's why we had Vaughn Palmer, the columnist of Anchor's Son, who was also the host of Voice of BC, as our very first guest, because that's uh, a model we want to emulate. And look, we're not looking for blockbuster ratings. We're not going to get blockbuster ratings. But what we are going to get is a very intelligent, informed, and influential audience. And I think that's what 
That's always been the goal. I have to say that I've had a lot of emails from people who I respect in politics on all sides of the political fence uh, who really enjoyed seeing these interviews, who really enjoyed the opportunity to have uh, to watch a, a conversation, uh, not a, you know, you dirty rat, you did this or that, or the, the usual kind of political panels that, uh, where we see partisan stuff constantly and, and more, uh, more heat than light. And I think this is an opportunity for our guests to talk. Uh, you and I have our political differences, but I think we both respect each other and we also respect our guests and, and their perspective. And we want to do more of that in the, in the coming season. We hope that if you're enjoying the show, you consider, uh, becoming a supporter, financial supporter, also a, a literal supporter by sharing and, and telling people about the show. We do hope to be back in September. We hope to have the premiere on sometime in the fall season if we get one. And uh, we'll be covering going into an election year, Daniel. I, I'm pretty excited about it. I think it, it, and I don't think anything is clear yet about what how that's going to turn out. No, election years are the Super Bowl of politics. So we know that there's going to be an election next year. So next season for sure will be fun. And I, I, I support your comments about uh, if you are interested in supporting the show, make sure to reach out to us. And I, I know they don't probably appreciate me say, saying anything on air, but I want to thank Derek and Simone and also Stu McNish over at Old Boy Productions for so uh, dutifully working with us in this, these ex kind of... Um, unconventional circumstances of us having to do the show uh, like we've done. It was seamless and such a great team behind the, the camera who do the work after you and I go off air. So thanks to all of them and thanks to all of you who've been watching and listening to uh, BC Polytalk this season. I really look forward to uh, talking to you again uh, this fall. Absolutely. And, and I want to say also a thank you to the foundations and individuals who have supported us significantly financially, because that's the only way the show has been made possible. And we hope that you've enjoyed the conversations we've had. We hope that we have more in the fall. Thanks for watching. Please do share and all the best as we try and get through the COVID-19 crisis. Stay safe and we'll talk soon. And remember, you can find everything at our website, bcpolytalk.ca. You can also chase us down on Spotify and iTunes for podcasts. You can find us on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find links there. You can go to YouTube and see the show.